Hello and welcome to the Business and Pleasure podcast, the show that discusses what it's really like to be a digital nomad. We talk about the ups and the downs, the lessons learned and the big discussion about whether you can really have it all. Today we're chatting with Chris Whitaker. Chris is an outdoor industry expert and is the founder of Global Shenanigans, an expedition company that plans and leads small group adventures around the world. Currently in New Zealand, Chris is dedicated to making travel more accessible to a broader audience. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me on, Lydia. Yeah, looking forward to talking a bit more about this kind of lifestyle with you. Definitely. So on that point, let's get into it. How did your digital nomad lifestyle begin and how long have you been a digital nomad for? So my journey, I think, is maybe a little different from a lot of people in terms that it was definitely more focused on the nomad part and the digital bit came in a little bit later on. So I've been working in the outdoor industry since 2012, which basically means working seasonal contracts around the world as a kayak instructor or a snowboard instructor in the wintertime. So I've been traveling around for about a decade doing that. And then it wasn't until maybe five or six years ago, I first started writing doing some freelance travel writing work for different blogs uh, to earn a bit of extra money whilst I traveled and then eventually started my own expedition company. So I now use the digital side of things to find guests and customers that are going to join me on my trips. And then I provide physical tours in real life. So it kind of merges between digital and nomad in different aspects. That's amazing. It sounds, sounds like the dream and that it's sort of naturally happened that it was your pure interest that got you into it and then you realized that you could turn it into a business which is amazing yeah i'm really happy with how everything has kind of turned out and the route that this sort of developed in front of me like you say it wasn't a plan from the start i actually had no plan and it was just a gap year to begin with and that gap year is just continually extended and has no signs of slowing down so where did he begin what was the thing that really got you interested in the travel nomad life i knew i wanted to travel so i did sixth form and want to take a gap year wanted to travel and see the world and then figure out what to do in that time so i googled how to travel and get paid and came across kayak instructing as a thing that people do as a (laughs) seasonal job and i never did any outdoor stuff Um, when I was a kid, like I didn't really go camping. I didn't go hiking or kayaking or climbing. You know, I was very sporty, but more like traditional school sports, football and rugby. So I came across kayaking at 18 Mm -hmm. and did a course to become qualified and started working as a kayak instructor. And then eventually did a course to become a snowboard instructor as well as a way to work all year round. And then as soon as I started doing both of those things, I just fell in love with it, you know, being quite sporty. I really enjoyed the physical aspects of those activities and then spending all day outside just sharing such a fun activity with people from around the world. I was completely hooked and knew that this was going to be a a lifelong thing. And where did those jobs first take you to? What countries did you start going to with those jobs? I first did two summer seasons in the UK because I was in a relationship which I eventually realized wasn't wasn't going anywhere. It was kind of holding me back. So ended that and then went to France and did a season in Southern France on the Ardèche, which is incredible. And after that, my first winter was in Canada. And then I went to China and then Japan and then back to China. 
and then to Canada again, and then just kind of snowballed from there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So you've, you've been around, which is mad. Uh, I bet Japan in the snow is just insane. Japan for sure is probably, Japan is my favorite destination for a winter trip. I think anyone that's into skiing and snowboarding, Japan is number one. The snow there is incredible. And then the food on top of that and the culture is just so unique, but amazing in every way. Like it's such a nice place to be, but the people there are great. The environment is very respectable. So yeah, Japan is definitely a, a spot to check out. Definitely. I was there last year and it was, it, it's just, there's nowhere like it. That's sort of how I explain it. And if you get the chance, you should definitely go. So it'd be great to talk about the the move from from sort of snowboarding and, you know, essentially working for somebody else and then slowly moving over to creating your own thing and building global shenanigans. How did you find that move over? And was there something that happened to push you into creating your own thing or was it more of a gradual move? It was gradual and it came about very organically. One benefit I had is that I wasn't trying to desperately leave a career that I didn't enjoy. I actually love my job and I still work as a guide uh, for other people. So I still mm. snowboard instruct, which takes up a lot of my year. Right. Now still, you know, take work for other companies and then can build my thing on the side and slowly grow that. So it meant I was in less of a rush, but it came about because I met some guys. It's actually in a, on a trip in Tanzania. Uh, not Kilimanjaro. It was a different trip. I was working for a company who do community projects around the world. They take kids from the UK, go around the world and just work on community development, uh, working at schools and villages and stuff like that. And some of the local guys had just got on really well with them. And he told me, you know, you've really like what you do. You're really good at this. Like you should come back with your own groups, you know, he pointed around the groups like, he's a Kilimanjaro guide. He's a Kilimanjaro guide. That guy, he'll be your cook. And he just really planted that seed that if I found enough people, I could actually put this together. And it was maybe three or four years from that moment until I actually was in a position that I wanted to do that. So I started growing social media, started to be a bit more active on it, mm -hmm. switched from writing blogs and articles for other people and started putting them on my own website, realized that I need to put that work in myself. And then after some time developing that and a lot of people and friends of mine reaching out to me and asking about what I'm doing, how do I keep traveling like this? Like, how are you doing these trips all over the world? So I realized there's people asking, there's people that want to do it. And I've started to build a foundation of how. So I kind of just stuck those things together and just made a fully incorporated package for them to book, it's, you know, so everything is covered. All they have to do is book a flight, turn up at the airport, and then they're good to go. So it all kind of came about quite naturally, which is really good. That's why I think I find it so fun to, to build and work on it. Cause it's not forced. It's just what I have always done and enjoy doing. Mm. And now I can do it for myself. So it's even better. You're ta taking the reins and just running with it, which, and it's, it sounds like you also have like the best of both worlds as well. You mentioned that you're still teaching snowboarding and taking people out and being the guide and everything like that and for other companies but you're also building up global shenanigans like it's great that you can still do exactly what you want 
Yeah, I really get the best of both worlds with that. And it certainly takes the pressure off as well. I think a big thing for any new business, especially one that's going to uproot you and take you around the world is, is it going to work? And how am I going to pay my bills? So I'm quite fortunate that I have that as a, a lifeline yeah. uh, that I can cling on to until I think I'm ready. So at the moment, I've been doing my own trips in the shoulder season, which is the off season between September and November, and then April and May. I'm usually free in those times anyway. Mm -hmm. So I've started to build up that time. And next summer, actually, from April, uh, I will be in a position to go full time on my own trips and then still have the winter. You know, I just really love snowboarding, so I don't think I'll ever get rid of the winter season. It's just a, a great thing to be doing. So, yeah, it's been really fun to build it that way and slowly grow, you know, first one trip and then two trips and then two back to back and then different locations. Just keep slowly building on yeah. top of it. And are you based in one place at the moment or are you traveling around a lot as you work on the business? This is where I definitely lean heavy on the nomad side of it. I've not really been properly based anywhere for a long time since I started doing this kind of stuff. The, the contracts I get are sort of six to eight month mm -hmm. contracts. So I'm sort of semi-based there at that time. And then I move on and keep moving from there. I guess the, the most I felt based was in Canada when I had a van. I kind of had all my stuff in that van and was still kind of nomadic around that. But, but no, I pretty much just go from one spot to the next, which can be a real pain if you can imagine how much equipment is needed as a snowboard instructor and a kayak guide and you're traveling around all these different places. So I have a lot of bags yeah. that come with me, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's worth it. You kind of find ways to make it work. And what are those ways that you make it work? Or what are the, the reasons why you keep doing what you're doing? Obviously, you love it and it's amazing. But I'm sure just like anyone, when you're traveling and working and you're trying to figure it all out, you're, you're going to have the high highs, but you're also going to get the low lows. What are those things that keep you going? To be able to share something that you think is just so special, I think anyone that has that travel bug and they've absolutely fallen in love with it, you have those moments where you wonder, why isn't everybody else doing this? And especially, you probably think of some friends in mind who like, they would absolutely love yeah. this. Why are they not on this beach with me? Why are they not surfing here? Why are they not doing this and that? So the moments that really bring it all together is just to be able to provide those opportunities and have either friends that become guests on the trip and share it with them or guests who become friends and you genuinely want to see again and see in your own time. You have that bond with people and, you know, the trips I do, they're very self-selecting. You know, the, someone that's going to book a six-day kayak trip to Mexico or seven days hiking on Kilimanjaro, they're a very specific type of person and they are my kind of person. So I know for sure, like, we're all going to get on. It's going to be great. And we're going to have that shared experience together. Yeah, having those moments with all these different people in wild locations. Yeah, it's just a way to, to share what I've been doing for a long time with as many people as possible. Yeah, I think that's amazing as well. And I think a really good point because I am a solo digital no matter and I absolutely love it and I love doing my own thing. And there's a lot of pros to traveling when you're by yourself. But there's sometimes where I wish, oh, I wish I could sh share this experience with someone or oh, I've just come across this new place and I'd love to have a conversation with someone. and go through that whole experience of 
discovering somewhere new with someone and with what you do and taking people away on these expeditions it must be amazing because you get to share the experience with them and enjoy it with them and all sort of bask in that excitement and the emotion and you can really be part of something and share it which is lovely yeah totally i'm i'm the same a lot of my travels outside of my trips are solo pretty much always um I'm just very happy on my own, perfectly content, really enjoy doing anything that anyone else would do just by myself. There's nothing wrong with that. And I really love it. So to, yeah, combine those things, actually do have those shared experiences and to see someone experience something that I've seen myself maybe once or twice before, but see them do it for the first time is really incredible. And all the trips I go on, I, I go out myself first. So I go a year before and I go and scout it. I meet the local team that I'm going to be working with just to check that, you know, they are as good as I think they're going to be, like their reviews are true. They are professional and a high standard and just to make sure we're all on the same page. So I get to experience the trip myself first, get all these photos, content, my website, to then try and promote it. And to then come back with a group of normal people, like people to come and check it out. To then see them, you know, witness, yeah. I don't know, like see a dolphin from a kayak for the first time or, you know, see the sunrise on Kilimanjaro for the first time. And just to see those moments is really special. And how do you decide on the next trip? Is it like word of mouth, you're hearing things in the sort of industry in the space, a trip has come up and it's had a lot of interest? Is it something that you want to do and you have genuine interest and you think other people would? How do you pick the next place? A few different ways. The first trips I did were Sicily and the one in Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. They were both places I'd been before. I actually worked as a kayak guide in Sicily for three months. And then I contacted my old employer when I thought I was ready to do my own trips and reached out to him and said, I think I have enough people to do my own group. You know, can we set something up? And he was very supportive and I basically did the same six day trip that I used to do for him, but for myself, just renting equipment from him. Then Tanzania, like I mentioned, the guys there, they, they really put it in my head that I could do it. So Kilimanjaro being such a well-known mountain, I think most people mm -hmm. know, do they want to do it or not? So all I have to do is convince them to do it with me. Um, and then the other locations are places that I've just traveled to myself or had an interest in heard that it would be really good for certain reasons. And then I'll start to investigate what companies to work with by going through their website. Having worked in the industry, I kind of know what to look for, what looks legit and what looks like a bit of a front and then look for reviews, get in yeah. touch and you know everything from how they respond to my emails uh, to how they are reviewed on various platforms, you know, all, all plays in. So the next one is actually in Nepal the Annapurna base camp. So obviously that's another big one that I know a lot of people would want to do. I've had people reach out to me and have asked, are you ever going to do one in Nepal or are you ever going to do like Machu Picchu, stuff like that. So people do reach out and then I guess I just prioritize like what that I want to do first and then slowly build a group around that. That's insane. That's the best. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I really love it. I'm very lucky how it's all panning out like this was a, a dream I had for a very long time. And I remember speaking with my brother in Mexico, we were traveling together. And I first told him this idea, like, I think I'm 
ready to start doing my own trips, but I don't know if anyone who's going to come, like, do I even know enough people? And, you know, being a brother is very encouraging, like just put it out there. Like you don't know until <laughs> you know, so just, just do it. And yeah, it's been overwhelming how yeah. many people have supported this, you know, some old friends of mine, the first trip I did was actually 90% of the people in the first group were people I went to school with, like primary school. So it was really epic to have those guys out with me and then oh, cool. through word of mouth and other people I've just met, I guess, because I've worked seasonally for a long time, I've met a lot of people in a lot of different places. So you kind of stay in touch and they see what you're up to. And yeah, the support has been really amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's just been really organic and it, it's just naturally happened, which is even better. And it's something you, you love doing, which is the dream. Yeah, really fun thing about it. And I think why um, it kind of has that personal touch is because the brand is connected to me. Like they, they are the same thing, like Global Shenanigans and Chris is the same person. So I think people yeah. kind of like to see it do well because they know me and they know it is directly affecting a person. You know, every trip, there's only one that happens because there's only one of me to be there. I think that's why that personal touch definitely helps win people's support over. They see there's a face mm. to the brand. And I guess the same with any brand, like any digital nomad type thing, if you were looking at creating a brand, how important it is to put your face on it and to have your personality in it and involved. I think it really, really helps. And I think now more than ever, it's important for your brand to have a personality and feel like you're actually talking to a human because I mean, AI is rife now. You never know if you're talking to a robot or not. So it's nice to have that personal touch. It makes such a big difference, especially because what you're offering is travel. It's an experience, but it's such a big personal thing. It's such a big thing to so many people. And it can be learning a new sport. It can be self-development. It can be such a big personal vulnerable thing at times that I think yeah having that personality in your brand or having the brand as your personality or whatever it is really really helps with that and helps people feel comfortable when they are stepping out of their comfort zone as well which they may be doing with going on one of your expeditions and they want to try something new there's no surprise that it's worked so well and why people are connected with you and your brand the trust has to be there 100 percent. it's such a big trip and it's a, a, a once in a lifetime trip, which means you only want to do it one time. You don't want to go back. So if you have a bad experience and that's it ruined. So you're being trusted not only with such a special moment that they've looked yeah. forward to for their whole life, but also the people that join my trips are people that are busy and they have jobs and they have work to do and they only have a certain amount of time off per year. So to be trusted with, you know, two years of valuable holiday time as well, you know, there's a lot of things. And it really has to deliver on all counts and go above and beyond that for people to then recommend other people to do the same. So there is a huge element of trust. So yeah, being a face and people feeling like they actually know me to some degree before they've even met me is uh, something that definitely helps sort of push them over and realize that like, yeah, this is a, a real human being who has really done this many times and really knows what he's talking about and can really provide this experience. It'd be great to hear more about 
your best travel experience so far? I mean, it sounds like you've been to amazing places. You've done a lot of great things. But is there one specific thing or maybe a few things that really stick out to you and sort of remind you why you do what you do? One specific experience that really stands out as something that really summed up everything to do with travel and adventure and cultural experiences that I absolutely loved was meeting the Hedzabe, which is a tribe in Tanzania, and joining them on a morning hunt. Mm -hmm. This tribe is one of the last remaining hunter-gatherer tribes in the world. And even with that, more and more of their people are moving away from hunter-gatherer lifestyle and are sort of losing their nomadic side because of how difficult it's getting. But there are still some people who live nomadically. They move their encampment around and they survive 100% on what they can forage and what they can hunt. And I had an opportunity to join them when I went out to scout the first Kilimanjaro trip that I did. So I went out in 2020 during the second lockdown, the winter lockdown. I flew to Tanzania three days before that started and I stayed there uh, the whole time that it went on. So it was an incredible time wow. to be there anyway, because nobody had been there for like the whole year. All the local people I met were just so thankful to see a tourist. And they were telling me like, tell everyone we're open, tell everyone it's safe. You know, we need business, we need tourism. So, so tell everybody that. So it was an amazing time to be there. And then I was basically traveling with my partners out there, these two guys, Thomas and Daniel, we had a safari truck. And we just split the fuel costs between us. And we went on a 14-day safari. And then I climbed Kilimanjaro. And then we did a few other excursions as well. And this was one of them. So we camped out near Lake Yassi, which is where the Hedzabe people are. And we had a guide who wasn't Hedzabe, but he could speak their language because they don't speak Swahili. They have their own language. So this guy took us to where he thought they were going to be. Uh, he hadn't seen them for 10 days and also being a nomadic tribe, they might not actually be there, but he took us over there. Thankfully, they were still there. Uh, this one uh, small family and yeah, met the, the guy Gem and joined him on his morning hunt. So he goes out with a, a bow and arrows and just tries to see what he can find. And it was such a incredible experience just to see a way of life that is so far removed from our own. And I feel like that is a reason why a lot of people travel is to see something as different as possible that really makes you think about your own life and how you live and what's important. Mm -hmm. So it's a very eye-opening experience to, to do that. And yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And what do you think those things are that you've learned from your travels? Like what, what have you learned from your experiences so far? A big thing for me is to value experiences over possessions. That way, I feel like you really get as much out of life mm -hmm. as possible. You're kind of forced to do that when you backpack because you can't travel with very much stuff anyway. So you don't have a load of clutter and a load of junk laying around because you just can't take it with you. So you end up valuing real life experiences whether that's meeting people, doing things, tasting different foods, seeing things, that becomes a priority and you kind of live in a more minimalist type of way and you 
I guess, realize what is important and not even in terms of those items, you know, everything that comes with me needs a role. You know, I travel with a snowboard, which is pretty mental really, but it has a purpose. I need that snowboard. I need it to work and I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So you do have room to bring things with you if you need to, but it has to have a real, real purpose. So yeah, that's probably a big lesson. And I don't think people need to necessarily go as extreme as I do. You don't have to just live out of two bags, but maybe in people's regular lives, if you bypass maybe the latest iPhone and some new shoes and maybe a, a few less drinks now and then, you'd suddenly have a load of cash saved up that you could spend on a real genuine experience for yourself or your friends, family or partner and, and have something what I would say is a bit more worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I know I'm um, slowly working my way down to just having a cabin bag and a like a backpack for my laptop. And I'm just so excited for that. Like, it will just be nice to, I don't know, feel um, less dependent on stuff. And then I've spoken to lots of other digital nomads. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but it, people just just say that they just feel so much lighter, you know, having their stuff and then this is this is them and they're not thinking about what they've left or whatever. They've just, I think it makes a big difference when it, you're just lighter in all aspects. The packing can be stressful to decide what those items are, but as soon as you leave, you don't remember what you left behind. You just see, yeah. this is what I got and this is what I make do with. And if you desperately need something, you can buy things wherever you go. If you go to a cold environment, you can buy or rent. You know, people I know buy stuff from a charity shop, use it for the week, and then just give mm -hmm. it back at the end of the week. Like, that's perfectly fine to do. Have you had any travel experience experiences where things haven't gone to plan where you've had to overcome really big challenges or you know have you had an experience where it makes you question what what you're doing it will be surprising but in all the time i've been traveling there hasn't been that many moments like that now i've never been robbed or beaten up or scammed or got like terrible traveler's tummy or anything i think the only couple of occasions where things maybe weren't as great, maybe some low points. The first time I ever went traveling, I flew from Cambodia to Thailand and my bank card wasn't working in Cambodia. And I just assumed it was the Cambodia ATMs. So I fly to Thailand and I arrive and my bank card is still not working. And for some reason, I just didn't foresee that being the issue. Um, I just arrived at an airport with absolutely no money. I think I had $6. And that was it. And this was in, well, nine, nine or 10 years ago. So it was hard to get hold of anybody uh, when you're traveling at that point. So I remember sleeping in the airport because I arrived, I think at like nine o'clock at night. So I slept in the airport, then faced the day, the next day, uh, a taxi driver, he was actually speaking with me. He was trying to you know, offer his services as a, a driver. And I told him I have no money and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And he bought me dinner. He took me to a, the airport restaurant and he bought me dinner right there, which was really incredible of him. <laughs> and the next day, I think I, I just walked until I could find a fancy hotel and pretended I was a guest and then phoned home. And it turned out there was a letter from the bank 
telling me they were going to block my card because being a new traveler and not really knowing what to do, I hadn't told the bank I was going traveling. So they blocked my card. So I, I managed to get a hold of them and it was all good. So it all turned out well in the end, but that was definitely a, a learning curve and a, a moment that had, I guess, some lessons within it. You know, things were pretty low. I didn't have any money and was hungry, but someone still helped me out. You know, people are nice around the world. People will try and do what is right. Yeah. I've found that as well. When I've touched wood, I've never had any major issues. I'm probably jinxed myself now, but I've been lucky enough to not have anything major happen. But when they're like our little hiccups in the road, I find that now, now when it happens, I think, oh, there's always a silver lining. There's always a learning from this. Whereas when I started, I was like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Freaking out. So yeah, it's nice now that my point of view has changed on it. But I think, again, that's just come up with experience and having to go through those hiccups and having to figure out a problem and face these challenges. And I think as well, that's a good uh, reason why I like traveling by myself, because you're forced into those situations where you have to figure it out and you can't lean on anyone. So that's a, a reason why I love it. You just have to figure it out. And Nine times out of 10, you you do as well. So it always works out. Yeah, those problem-solving skills are great to develop. And there's nowhere like traveling that you get flung in at the deep end. You really have to figure things out, especially if there's a country where there's a language barrier yeah. too. Like you can't just ask the nearest person who's going to solve your issue for you. If your phone died and the hotel address is on the phone and that's it, or you don't have enough money for the bus or some unforeseen thing happens, you miss the ferry and you're now stuck somewhere. It can be incredibly stressful at the moment and you feel like the whole world is caving in on you. But actually, I find often the solution is just to go and buy some food somewhere, go and eat and then figure it out like over a meal. You then realize, like, okay, I'm fed. Yeah. So like, what's the worst that can happen now? Okay, now I just need yeah. to find somewhere to sleep. And then you've got somewhere to, to stay and then you're fine. So it's usually just that. Find a roof and food and then you're going to be okay. Yeah, that's the thing. It's always just giving yourself a bit of time to just sit and like eat normally and then think it through instead of like freaking out in the moment and then make, probably making it worse for yourself as well. Having a bit of time to let it sink in and realize that it probably isn't as big as you think it is. Yeah, that's the, and the funny thing too, often I do get asked that question either, what's the worst thing that's happened traveling or what's the worst injury you've ever had like on one of your trips? Like what's the biggest accident that's happened with any of your groups? People always want to know the Ooh. worst, but there aren't really any, like that's the whole point of my job. And what I do is to like manage risk and mitigate that. So it's, it's always a, a funny thing when people are a little disappointed that there's not like a, a really dark, horrendous story uh, to share. <laughs> yeah. They want the drama. Yeah, that's it. Maybe I have to spice things up a little bit. Maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll do a cowboy trip one time, not take any safety gear, and just see what happens. Head into the storm. Yeah, see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that one. What do you love most about being a nomad? It sounds a bit cliche, but I would say the the freedom to go where you want and do what you want is really the appeal for most people. I would say just to decide what you want to be doing like with your life in that moment like it, and it can change so to have a life set up where i can uproot and move 
in a moment's notice, like I've taken some trips offered to me on less than a week's notice. Uh, you know, one example being in my van in the US and a friend of mine who is a full-time travel, travel blogger, he knows I'm someone that can do that and will just take a trip at the drop of the hat. And he messaged me and said, we've just had someone drop out. Uh, can you go, or would you like to go to Guyana and do this trip in the Amazon for us? You just need to write free articles and take some photos. Um, and it leaves in, it leaves in a week's time. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, they'll fly me out from whatever airport. So yeah, just parked my van somewhere, took that 10 day trip and then yeah, just came back. So be able to do that and not have anything tying you down in terms of long-term rent or mortgage wow. or other things. You know, I just really like that's how I can live. You know, you really are in, in the moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's amazing. And how do you, how do you, how would you say you approach work and travel? I guess it's slightly a bit of a gray area because they sort of are so intertwined for you. Do you ever feel like you need time or do you have time to purely travel for yourself because you love what you do do you feel like you don't need the time to i i mean basically like have a holiday somewhere if anything have <laughs> more time because of these trips because i can use these expeditions to then yeah. fund and get me in places that i then want to continually travel so for example Coming up next month, you know, I'm mm. taking a trip to Kilimanjaro, taking a group there, and then I'm going to go to Nepal and scout a new trip for the following year. Um, but I've actually been able to organize my brother to come and join me mm -hmm. on that trip. So we're going to do that together. So my brother will join me for the scouting trip. And then that is only, it's a 10 day hike, but we'll stay there for a month and do some of our own stuff afterwards. And then on my way back to New Zealand, I'm going to stop off in Bali. Uh, I really love surfing. So I get a surf trip in there. So I found a way to combine them together and actually add my own little nice. breaks around it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely don't want to only work. Yeah. Like I would be exhausted if I just did back to back trips. So yeah, I kind of use it as a way to add in more of my own experiences around it. And what I like to do in my own time is not necessarily what the group trips would do. You know, I really like surfing and I can just hang out in a surf town for for a while mm. and you know do do other things I, I definitely go a lot more bare bones in my own travels whereas the group trips i lead are a bit more uh luxury you know stay at nicer hotels when we're not camping and you know the food is just incredible and, and huge copious amounts of delicious food um i'd probably save a bit of money when i when i do my own stuff so yeah kind of get a mix of everything it all, all pairs well finally the big question, can you really have it all? Can you have a balance of business and pleasure? That is a big question. And I think I am definitely well on the way of figuring it out. I find that I really do enjoy working on my own thing. Like I, like today, for example, I have a day off snowboarding. I have two days off a week. One, I go snowboarding. And the second day I work on my own stuff for Global Shenanigans. And I enjoy both of them just as much like I really do enjoy the time mm -hmm. I put into my own thing because it is my own thing and that is a a big point that I think a lot of people miss about starting their own yeah. business is you're going to be working more than ever for less pay to begin with at least 
a lot of volunteer hours working on your own project, but you should want to do that. Like it shouldn't feel like work. I really do enjoy it. You know, I come back from my full-time job and I spend an hour or two working on my own projects, editing videos or writing articles. And whilst I'm traveling too, I do the same thing. So I think it is possible to do. It might, might be difficult and it can be a fine line of what becomes work and a chore and then what are you actually enjoying. So I think as long as you're always benefiting in some way and you find a way to get that equal balance, I think you can have business and pleasure at the same time. It definitely sounds, yeah, like you're on your way to it. I feel like I could talk to you all day about you've probably got so many interesting stories and oh I just love it like that's you mentioned yeah like when you're working on your own thing you you should enjoy it that's how I feel about having my own podcast it's purely a passion project but I don't mind you know working on the weekend on it it doesn't feel like work to me which is a it's nice it's nice that I can be creative and create my own thing and it not feel like work or you know a chore and I think that's a privilege really yeah definitely I think that's the way it needs to be obviously you need money to pay your bills you can't survive off just that enjoyment of a of a hobby but I think to begin with it needs to be just that like it needs to be something you really are happy to put in long hours or you know to say no to going to the pub with your mates for some drinks because you have this other bit of work that you need to do and actually wanting to do that and enjoying that because that's kind of what it takes to get something off the ground, I think. And that's sort of the moment I'm in right now. The stage I'm in is realizing that if I want this to be my full-time job, I need to put in full-time amount of effort and then eventually it will become that way. So having to look at things that way and realize it does take time and commitment. But if it is something you're passionate about and see like a long-term goal, or a future vision, then it doesn't feel like any any effort at all. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. And I, I love talking to you. I feel like I have so many more questions for you as well. But I'll include all your links in the episode show notes. Thank you to everybody for listening. And we'll see you again very soon.